Well, beloved, let's go to the word on this morning. First Samuel, chapter 28 and verse 3. I just want to, did I, did I remember everything, all my observations? Yeah? All right. Sister Stephanie is letting me know that I can go on forward. In fact, let's praise the Lord for my assistant, Sister Stephanie Turner. Y'all don't know that she keeps me on track. Amen. Now the word of the Lord reads, 1 Samuel, chapter 28 and verse 3. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah, in his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. Then the Philistines gathered together and came and encamped at Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel together and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, find me a woman who is a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, in fact, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. Now turn with me to Proverbs 3, verse 5. Where it reads, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Our title for this time, beloved, is be careful who you ask for directions. Be careful who you ask for directions. Now, I've always thought the story of King Saul is one of the more sad and tragic stories in the Bible. When we see him in our texts, Saul is in his tent, this giant of a man, tall and handsome, the scriptures say. Now he's much older, pacing in his tent, completely terrified, desperate. He calls an aide and he says, go find someone who speaks with the dead. Find me a medium, a fortune teller. 
Now, not too long before that time, Saul had just issued an edict saying, anyone practicing fortune-telling, reading tea leaves, reading the numbers and crystal balls, anybody communing with the dead and all of that other craziness will be executed because it goes against Israel's faith in one true God. And now in his darkest hour, he says, find me someone who is a medium. They said, there's one in Endor. You know, it's, it's real interesting to me that those who worked for Saul knew exactly where a medium was, even after he issued his edict, by the way. Hmm. It's a whole nother sermon, amen, about the people who work with you in ministry, amen. We we'll get to that another time. So he puts on a disguise, hoping no one will know who he is, the king of Israel. He makes his way to the tent of the medium at Endor in the dead of night. And he says to her, I want you to call up someone. And she says... Well, you know the law of the land. Are you trying to get me killed? He says, no harm will come to you. Call up someone. Well, who is it? Call up Samuel. And she recognizes him for who he is, and she begins to panic. You, you're Saul. I said, no harm will come to you. Call up Samuel. So she goes into her ritual and whatever they do. And she says, I, I, I see some kind of ghostly being coming up from the ground. Well, what does it look like? It, it's, it's an old man in a mantle. And, he, and Saul says, well, it's, it's him. It's Samuel. Samuel says, why have you disturbed me? Why? Saul says, help me. Tell me what to do. Samuel says, it's too late. You and your sons will be with me by this time tomorrow. Now at these words, Saul crumbles to the floor of the witch's tent, broken, crying, unable to move, unable to eat, how would you feel? The next day, facing defeat in battle and surrounded by the Philistines, King Saul committed suicide by falling on his sword. His life being characterized by his own words, I have played the fool and have erred greatly. The most tragic last words than anybody could ever have. I have played the fool and have erred greatly. Now to inquire is to seek information by questioning to ask direction, 
Now, going to inquire and ask directions from a fortune teller was completely unbecoming of a king. It was beneath Saul. It was unethical. And going to a fortune teller, he violated everything that he stood for, and it was against the law. In Leviticus 19 and 31, it commands, give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Now what he's saying there is, why look to the stars? The numbers, the tea leaves, all those things. Why look to the stars to tell you what to do when you can have a personal relationship with he who created the stars? In fact, he can make the stars do whatever he wants them to do. Why look to the stars when you can have a relationship with he who created the stars? So I, I, I can't make any excuses for King Saul. But I feel like we need to gain a deeper understanding about what happened there. You see, we never like to identify with the villains or the losers in the Bible. We only like identifying with the winners. But if we're not careful, any one of us here any one of us here could be just like Brother Saul. So I began to think about Brother Saul, how he went from being anointed king to this broken man lying on the floor, crying on the floor of a witch's tent. How did someone so close to God find himself in this situation? It could happen to any one of us. And then I remembered something. I remembered something. I remembered that Saul did not ask to be king. You see, there are some people that would love to rule. They would love to be in charge. They see all of the accolades and the respect that those in power have, and they wish that they could have that respect, that notoriety. It all looks so good from the outside. People that want to be in charge too much make me a little nervous. It makes me think that they don't know too much about what it takes to lead. It makes me think that they have no idea what it really takes to carry a burden for people. But Saul was not one of those people. Saul did not ask to be king. When we first met him, he was just a farmer. One morning, his father, Kish of the tribe of Benjamin, said at breakfast, Saul, some of our donkeys have uh, broken out of the corral. I want you to take one of the men and see if you can't get them. So this young man, close to 30 years old, used to the quiet, simple life 
of the farm gathered up some supplies, left with a servant, and went out looking for jackasses. After a couple days out searching, he met with the prophet of God, Samuel, and they spent a little time together. That evening, Samuel said, tell your servant to go down the road. And Saul did. And after the servant was further down the road, Saul did. Samuel then said to Saul, kneel. And Saul then knelt before the man of God. The man of God took out the anointing oil and Samuel poured it over the head of this young farmer. And then he said, God has chosen you to be the first king of Israel. The oil went down his, his face and went down his beard. And the man that knelt down into the dirt, a farmer, rose up from the dirt, a king. Amen. Now he had to go home with that awful, burdensome secret that he is going to be king. He will rule. He will be responsible. He will be accountable. What does he do with all of that? Samuel says, oh, the time will come. It will be announced and it will be very public. So go, go back home right now. So he heads back home, back to his chores, chasing donkeys, emptying waste baskets, working in the fields, cleaning the stables, gathering manure so it can be used as fertilizer for crops. This lets us know that even though that you know that God has put something great inside of you, sometimes you still have to work in the fields and shovel some manure every once in a while. Never think that you're too big to clean stables or work in the fields. Don't be like, God did not call me to, yes, God called you to do that every once in a while. But Saul has to do all of these things while quietly, secretly carrying the burden of future responsibility, accountability, and greatness. He was going to be king. He had to have been terrified. So when we see him here in our text 40 years or so later, we have to wonder what happened to him. Why is he here on the floor crying on the floor of this witch's tent? This is a man who should be on the throne. A man who should be standing strong and tall on the battlefield, unwavering before his troops, and he's lying here in the dirt of a fortune teller's tent, crying and desperate, crying, tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. What happened? Well, Bible scholars disagree. 
Some have said that he was destined, predestined. Some have said that he was God forsaken. Other theologians and scholars have said that he was just simply doomed. Some theologians in the argument said that Saul was a pawn of God, appointed by God to fail. God said to Israel, y'all want to be like everybody else? You want a king? All right, here's a king. Remember, you asked for it. But I don't believe that God set Saul up to fail. Our God does not do that. Amen. He doesn't treat us like pawns on a chessboard or punchlines in some kind of cosmic joke. God does not do that. I have to believe that God knows the thoughts that he has towards us which are thoughts of peace, that we would have a future and a hope. Some have said that Saul soon became prideful and full of himself and started calling his own shots and believing his own press. But for some reason, that seems too easy. It makes him seem too simplistic. You see, we're much, much more complex than that, aren't we? But in seeking to understand Saul in some strange way, I, I, I sometimes feel a little sorry for Brother Saul. And as we look at the closer actions of Saul, there is the, the repetition of a phrase that begins to haunt him and finally to destroy him. It is a phrase that at one time or another, all of us in our lives have uttered. We've all fallen victim to it before. And that phrase is, I did what the people wanted. I did what people wanted. What we thought those around us thought we should do. The people wanted it, but what will the people say? There was about to be this big battle with the Philistines, and there was to be a great worship service and, and a sacrifice because that's what God's people did before a service. They, they worshiped and sacrificed before the battle. They danced in advance. All of the people of God were gathered, and Samuel, the prophet, was late. The prophet was late for the service. The people said, you know, we're not going to wait that much longer, you know. So some of the people said, well, Saul, you're the king. Why don't you just preside over at the altar as the priest? So Saul said, okay, I'll do that. And Saul is in the middle of giving his text for the sacrifice sermon, and then Samuel comes from the side. Um, Saul, what are you doing? You know, well, well, the people said, go ahead, Saul. And Samuel says, but Saul, you're not ordained of God to do that. But Saul says, yeah, but, but, but the people wanted me to. 
And Samuel says, well, you know, Saul, that's, that's going to cost you. Before another important battle, Saul said, we must have the favor of God if we are to win this battle. So I'm going to declare among all my troops that there will be fasting. No soldier, no soldier shall eat until the battle we must be in prayer and in repentance before God. Which okay, it's okay to fast and be in prayer and in repentance before God, but it was a, a rash, emotional proclamation because hungry soldiers are not always at their best. They need their strength. They need to eat. And so and then soon one word came that one of the soldiers had been eating. Bring him here, Saul commands. And he sees that it is his own son, Jonathan, that had eaten. You see, Jonathan hadn't heard the proclamation of the king because he was off on a special mission procuring some weapons and supplies that the army would need before the battle. So he was on a mission. He didn't hear the proclamation. But Jonathan, being a straight-up soldier, said, you know, I have broken the law. I have broken the fast. I know the punishment. But the people said, all cut him some slack, King Saul. My goodness, it was just a little bread and honey. What's the deal? And the people said, there it is right there. And the people said, so Saul let it ride. Another example, after the defeat of the great army of the Amalekites, a word, the word of God was clear. It says, we do not go into war in order to collect spoils and take property and possessions from our enemies. We are not going to war to get rich and plunder. That is not what we do. So to prevent that greed and selfishness, everything you take is supposed to be destroyed. Do not save or keep anything that you take from the Amalekites. And through the power of God, Israel wins the battle. Now, when Samuel comes upon the victorious army with Saul out there partying, and he hears the bleeding of lambs and the mooing of cows, he says to Saul, what is, what is this? The lowing of the herd and the bleeding of the sheep. Saul says, well, the people, look, you know the law, everything was supposed to be destroyed. Well, well, the people said, why don't we save some of it and have a big celebration and thank God for the victory and sacrifice some of the captured livestock? Samuel says to obey. To obey is better than to sacrifice. But the people said, but the people said, but the people said, Saul seemed to have this insatiable appetite for public approval. He was intoxicated by the applause and approval of the people, of those around him. He wanted more views. He wanted more likes 
on his page, more thumbs up. He had to have that applause and approval, and in my assessment, that's what brought him down ultimately. In 1 Samuel 15 and 24, he even admits it. He says, then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. It gets no more clear than that what Saul's, what many of our issue is, is it? Now, let's not forget, he was nothing but a farm boy that started off looking for his father's jackasses at the beginning of this. That's why he possibly, he, he secretly longed for in his heart to be back on the farm where life was simple and predictable and he was not accountable for so much. Some of us are afraid of success, are afraid of more responsibility because we simply don't want to have to be accountable. We simply don't want to have so many people depending on us. Some of us are avoiding greatness because you're afraid of what will happen if you fail. Hmm. So many people watching, so many people second-guessing his every move, so many people trying to take his measure, so many people around him thinking that they could do the job better. It's not so easy being in that position. I mean, the pressures of life weigh equally heavily on all of us at times, but take a little bit of time to really look at the faces of those who've served as President, the weight of leadership sitting in the chair of that Oval Office has a way of making those men look older. At President Obama's first inauguration, he almost had a full head of black hair. <laughs> Go on and look at the, that first inauguration. Bishop prayed for it. Amen. It was beautiful. But by the time that second term came around, it was a whole lot more salt mixed in with that pepper up there. <laughs> so many would love to rule, but we forget that heavy is the head that wears the crown. And on one side of leadership, you have no idea what that means. And that was different when you know that you were trained and qualified to wear the crown. But what if one day you were just off working on a farm and you left home one day looking for donkeys and you left home that morning a farmhand and you came home anointed king? In 1 Samuel 9 and 21, he even tried to disqualify himself. At his coronation, when they were looking for him to crown him king, he was off hiding with the equipment. He probably lived in constant fear that one day the whole kingdom would find out that he was a fake. Today they call it imposter syndrome. 
It's why he needed their approval and applause so very much. Why else would he want to kill one of his most capable supporters over the lyrics of a song? One day after a great victory, sometime later, when David was returning to the kingdom, one of his greatest supporters, the women sang a song that said, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. When Saul, the king, heard that, he flew into a jealous rage. He, the king, was so insecure in my assessment that he could not stand for someone else to be praised or acknowledged. He felt that he was the one that deserved all of the accolades and the praise. He looked for approval and acknowledgement from others when he should have been seeking it from God. The people wanted me to. The people wanted me to. Why could not Saul have not just been satisfied by touching his beard and touching his head and remembering the feel of the oil of God's anointing and approval that day when he met Samuel? Why couldn't he just say, it, it, it doesn't matter what people think. God knows that I'm king. God made me king. As long as God is happy, I'm happy. As long as God is happy, that's all that matters. Because he spent so much time listening to the, and listening for the approval of the people and those around him, he could no longer hear the voice of the Lord. It's not that God wasn't speaking to him anymore, but he cut himself off from God. The, the people said, but the people said, what do the people think? What are the people going to say? The people said. So in 1 Chronicles 10 and 13, it says, So Saul died for his unfaithfulness, which he had committed against the Lord, because he did not keep the word of the Lord, and also because he consulted a medium for guidance. But he did not inquire of the Lord. Therefore he killed him and turned the kingdom over to David the son of Jesse, a tragic end for someone that was so chosen, so anointed, so close to God. You see, today we seem to be inquiring in all the wrong places. I think that we can all agree that we are living in very interesting <clears throat> and uncertain times. We're guilty to worrying about the future so much. And in these times of uncertainty, we have a tendency to inquire of whatever it is that seems to give off some kind of certainty, some kind of stability, some kind of insight, even if the person up there screaming can be wrong as two left shoes. They sound like a leader. They sound like what's going on. 
You can just listen to the last person who was president. He sounded like he knew what he was talking about and be just as wrong as he could be. But because he sounded like he knew what he was talking about, so many people followed that. People want to know what's going to happen. The stockbroker bases their lives' decisions on what the stock quotes say that day. Some of us look at the daytime talk shows or listen to our favorite news outlet, hoping to gain some kind of insights into our situation. You have to make sure that you are asking and inquiring in the right place. Be careful who you ask for directions. You can't just ask just anybody what you should do about life's critical and crucial decisions. You can't spend all of your time on social media to see what to do and how to act. You can't ask your friends on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter what you should do about your marriage, about life's big decisions. Now, they may be there to entertain you, but they cannot give you guidance. Most of the time, people give us advice based on their perspectives and their experiences on, based on what they're feeling at that moment. In our limitations as humans, that's the only thing we can do. That's the only way that we can give each other advice. That's why we're told in our second text, in Proverbs 3 and 5, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not unto your own understanding in all of your ways. How should I respond to what my spouse just said to me? In all of your ways. My boss just gave me extra work and I'm gonna have to stay overtime. In all of your ways. That brother just said some words to me and I think he needs a cat. In all of your ways. My son needs, seems to be having a problem at school. In all of your ways. What am I gonna do about this next situation on the job or on the house with my finances? With my, in all of your ways, acknowledge him and he shall. Direct your path. Amen. Amen. Y'all have to have a seat now. We ain't done yet. We on our way. <laughs> I'm not just going to leave you there. Amen. We going to come on home. <laughs> but that brings us to Saul's successor, King David. You see, in David, we have an example of someone who did the exact opposite of what Saul did in his life. It has always been said that David was a man after God's own heart. It was King David that was said to be the first of the great kings of Israel. Christ our Messiah came out of the house of David. Son of David, seed of Abraham. Now, how does one become a man or woman after God's own heart? We know King David's resume. He started off as a shepherd boy, learning to play the harp, write poetry and fight and use a sling. Warrior, worshiper, 
Even though he made some very, very big mistakes, one in particular for which he paid dearly for, he is still seen as a man after God's own heart. Some Bible scholars have said that he was so willing to admit when he made a mistake that he was so repentant. Lord, create in me a clean heart so that I might not sin against thee. Some have said it was because that he praised God so passionately and he wasn't even concerned with how he looked in front of the people when praising the Lord. When the Ark of the Covenant was returned to his rightful place, he danced himself out of his priestly, kingly robes. He didn't care how it looked to y'all, how he praised the Lord. But like Saul, there is a phrase that is used to describe in more than a few instances in the word why David was so successful as king. And that phrase is, and David inquired of the Lord. And David inquired of the Lord. And David inquired of the Lord. You see, consistently asking God for direction instead of asking people, like Saul did, made David a man after God's own heart. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. David was always inquiring of the Lord. That's what made him a man after God's own heart. 1 Samuel 23 and 2. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Kilah. 1 Samuel 23 and 4. Then David inquired of the Lord once again. He inquired of the Lord, and then he inquired of the Lord once again. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise and go down to Calah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. 1 Samuel 30 and 8. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him and said, Pursue for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. Samuel 2 and 5, Samuel 2, 2 Samuel 5 and 19. So David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them to my hand? And the Lord said to David, go up for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hands. 2 Samuel 5 and 23. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, and he said, You shall not go up, circle around behind them, and come upon them in front of the mulberry trees. Oh, somebody give the Lord praise on today. Hallelujah. Mm. The fact that David went from being the most wanted man in Israel public enemy number one to being king is a miracle in and of itself. But it happened because David was always inquiring of the Lord. 
Even when he was a wanted criminal, being pursued all over the land, he seemed to have a habit of inquiring and crying out to the Lord, asking God for directions about which way he should go. And you see these, these cries turned into psalms about, what God, about God's provision and protection. They turn into the psalms and the testimonies about what happens when you inquire of God, when you ask God for direction. These cries turn into Psalm 41 and 1. I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth. When you inquire of the Lord, he says in Isaiah 41, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Hallelujah. You see, when David inquired of the Lord, when you being a son and a daughter of God, ask him which direction you should take your life, he'll let you know some things. Like David, you will be able to say, the God of my strength in whom I will trust, my, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior, you saved me from violence. I will call, I will inquire of the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. When you ask the Lord for directions, he will let you know that no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of those who inquire of the Lord and their vindication from me, declares the Lord. Hallelujah. You will be reminded that God is our refuge and our strength. A very present help in times of trouble. After inquiring of the Lord, he will let you know that he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. You see, that's what you get when you live your life asking God for directions. All of that plus eternal life. Don't waste your time asking around everyone around you what you should do. Don't waste your time with the people said, the people said, the people think this, the people think I should this. Ask the one who truly has all of the answers. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. We might not have all of the answers, but we know how to ask he who does have all of the answers. Let's give him praise on today. 
Hallelujah. Everyone standing, everyone standing, everyone standing. Hallelujah. Oh, give him praise on today. Give him praise in advance on this morning. Hallelujah. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, give him praise for that word on today. Hallelujah. We worship and adore thee. Some of us here have been looking in so many different directions to find out what we should be doing in our lives and about our lives. We've been inquiring of everything else and everyone else to find directions when we should be inquiring of the Lord about what we should do and who we should be. I believe that there's someone here that is ready to inquire of the Lord about what they should do with their life and their future. I believe there's someone here that wants more for their life than what the world has been giving them. The world has only been giving you pain, disillusionment, despair. The world has been giving you nothing. But by giving your life to Jesus Christ, you are putting yourself in position to inquire of the almighty, almighty God of the universe. By putting yourself in relationship with Jesus Christ, you are putting yourself in position to hear what he is saying to you. If there's an area in your life, in any one of our lives, that you are seeking his direction in, that you are ready and willing to inquire of the Lord about that relationship, that situation on your job, that situation with your promotion, that situation in your marriage, that situation in your relationship between you and your family, that situation in your building where you live with your landlord, with the tax collector and the bill collectors. If there is someone here that is ready to seek his direction in all of those things, just come down here to the altar. We want to pray with you. We want to pray the victory in your life. We want to pray 
that the Lord will give you answers on what it is that you are supposed to do. Wing down before thee, songs of praise, the singing, hallelujahs. It's okay, you're among friends. You're among family, hallelujah. We want to stand with you. We want to love you. We want to walk with you. We want to surround you with prayer and victory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Oh, come forth, my brothers and sisters. The Spirit of the Lord is already in the room right now. Hallelujah. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, come, there's still room at the altar. There's still room. Hallelujah. Oh, I know someone here needs a touch from the Lord on today. Hallelujah. Amen. So, Lord God, you see your children who have come forward wanting to inquire of you, wanting to ask you for directions, what to do in their lives what to do about the decisions and the situations and the circumstances they are faced with. They are doing the best possible thing that anyone can do when faced with a situation and that is to inquire of you. So Father God, through your spirit, through your purpose, I ask that you would touch each one of the people in this room, touch each one of your children online, touch each one of your people who are trying to tune in and are desperately inquiring of you what to do in their lives now. And Father God, we thank you for the victory. We thank you that, Father God, that you are going to stand up and be God in their lives. We thank you for their healing. We thank you for all that they are going to do in your power. That you are going to give them the answers that they need in their situations, in their marriages, and in their lives with their family and their children. Someone here is praying desperately to connect with their children so that they would be saved. So that they can be a better mother, a better father, a better husband, a better wife, a better parent to their children. Someone here is blessed, Father God, and they are trying to inquire of you what to do with that blessing because they don't want to get lost in the blessing and forget the blessor. Father God, someone here is ready to give their life to you to inquire of you what to do about their life on this morning. They've tried to handle things in their own way, but now they're ready to present their life to you and ask you what you would have them do with their life. So they don't have to say one day, I have played the fool and have erred greatly. 
So Father God, we thank you for those that have come forward to give their life for you. And please pray this prayer with me. Please repeat after me. Dear precious Heavenly Father, I thank you for giving your son to die for my sins. I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. I believe that he came down to die for my sins. And I believe that he rose again on the third day. Now I ask him to come into my life right now. I want to be able to inquire of the Lord about what to do in my life. Please forgive me for the wrong that I have done. Please forgive me for the wrong that I have been. And I accept him into my life right now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's give the Lord praise on this morning, beloved. Hallelujah. Oh, come on now. Somebody in here just got saved on today. Hallelujah. Ooh, hold on for a second. I don't want to lose anybody. I don't want to lose anybody. But if you just got saved, if you just gave your life to Jesus Christ, we want to praise God with you. We want to stand with you. We want to walk with you on this journey. You are not alone. We want to lock arms with you. A three-green cord is never broken. So if you've just given your life to Jesus Christ on today, we want you to spend a little bit of time with us. We want to get some of your information. We want to be able to write you. We want to be able to send you texts, emails, videos to let you know that we are with you. So if that's you, please step to my left over here. Elder John Patton has his hand raised. And if you want to join Los Angeles, we would love to join with you. We will be a better church because you are with us. Let us inquire of the Lord together as we go into this future. Amen. So if that's you, just go on over here to my friend and brother, Elder John Patton. But if you're already saved, and only if you're already saved, and only if you're already a member of West Angeles, you can go back to your seat. But if you're not saved, and if you're not a member, go on over there and spend some time with Elder Patton. We want to praise the Lord for you. We praise God with you. Let's give the Lord another praise on this morning. Hallelujah.